0: It is good to be back with you after two weeks of vacation with the family in Florida, and we had a great time, time to relax and reset, and I got to do some fishing, and if you know me, that's kind of my thing, and I got to do something I've never done before, surf fishing, where you just walk out in the water. We're in a pretty remote area. and you just go out far enough to where you uh, get about this deep and you just cast as far as you can cast and see what you can catch. You just see whatever creatures out there they will eat that bait. And I had a, a great time doing that. You, I said, well, you go out far enough to where um, fish are big enough to eat you. <laughs> so I caught a barracuda and, uh, on a fishing pole and it was just the most wow moment. And, and we started catching these jumping fish. These um, They had a name. But anyway, when you catch them, you feel like you've hooked a, a pickup truck. And they go up in the air. And uh, very few of them could you ever get all the way in. But that wasn't the issue. It was just the fight. And, uh, we had a—it was just a blast. I'm going to tell you, it was a blast. It was like one of the last days. Um, I was hanging in there late in the evening. Everybody pretty much had left this beach. It's a pretty remote area, and um, I think I was the only one in the water I could see. And it's getting late in the day, and I'm still fishing, and I see a shark come. And I'm up to here in water, and I see him. He's coming. coming. The water's pretty clear, and I'm processing in my mind, what am I going to do? Because we don't get a lot of this in Birdie. <laughs> so, so, so I'm thinking, well, I've got this pretty stiff rod. I'll just use it as my tool if I need to fight him off. And I start backing up into more shallow water where I can get around better. And Sure enough, he came and he, he circled me. Well, I didn't let him get behind me. I was doing this. <laughs> You're not going to bite me in the back. So, so he went around me and he took off and uh, got his good. So, that's all I know. God is good. But it's good to be back with you, and, it's, and I, I watched the services online while I was in Florida. My family, we watched, and Will preached the last two weeks, and I appreciate Will, and I appreciate the staff that gives us the opportunity to just step out of here, and nothing changes. Uh, and God has blessed us with an amazing staff, and I'm, I'm grateful for that, and I give thanks to them. Would you like to know the future? In these days that we live when things seem catastrophically out of control, would you like to know the future? How awesome would it be if you knew in advance what was coming? I mean, really, r- really, not, not just say it, but you really knew in advance what was coming. How powerful would that be? The Bible. Is powerful. In fact, you ne- until you get this, nothing else really works. The Bible is powerful, and here's why. It shows us the past, and it shows us the future. It's powerful, and it's truth. It's not somebody's opinion. It's powerful truth about the past and about the future. And, and I believe that what I hold in my hand is the only physical source of absolute truth on this planet. The Bible reveals the creation, the beginning of beginnings of all creation. The Bible reveals heaven and the earth. And understand, it begins, it it reveals something that no person on his own could reveal. Why? There were no people here when God said, let there be light. There was only God. No person can know what happened in the beginning because there were no people here in the beginning. So when people tell you today what happened in the beginning, they're making it up because they weren't here and there weren't any people here in the beginning to know what happened when God said, let there be light. So how do we know what happened on the day that he said, let there be light? God revealed the events of creation to Moses and Moses wrote them down. The Bible reveals the past all the way back to creation itself. The Bible also reveals the future. God has already seen it. God has already revealed it and his prophets have written it down for us to know the future. And I ask you a question today as we open the Bible and take off on this journey back to the future. Do you believe the prophets? Do you believe Moses? Because Moses was told what happened on the first day. Or or maybe you believe the guy on CNN or Fox News or some organization that says that we came by chance random processes, that they weren't there. At some point in our life, we have to decide from where will we draw truth? What will be the source of our truth that we base our life's decisions on? Do you believe the prophets? Today, we're going to go back to the future, and I I use this funny 1985 movie scene. Some of you weren't even born then, and that makes me mad. (laughs) That's all I know. It just makes me mad. I don't even know why. I don't know why I'm mad. So we're going back. The Bible is an ancient book from our perspective. So we go back to look forward. If God has given us the beginning and wrote it down, then God would also give us the ending and write it down. And if we believed in the prophets, we would know how things began. And we would know how this thing's going to end. You know how powerful that is? Back, back, back into the Old Testament. We're going to go all the way back to this prophet named Isaiah. Isaiah comes on the scene about 750 years B.C. And that doesn't mean before COVID. It's before Christ. God revealed the beginning to Moses. And God revealed the future to Isaiah. Can you imagine Isaiah trying to take this in when God reveals this new world that we're going to talk about today? I first had this sermon idea when I watched a YouTube video. I watch preachers. I listen to preachers. I think it's important for me to have some preachers in my life that that pour into me. And I was watching a preacher one day named Gary Hamrick. Some of you may know him, watch some of his sermons from Cornerstone Chapel Church. A great preacher, great preacher. His sermon on that particular day inspired me uh, to write this one today, and I want to acknowledge him and give him thanks because he is true to the Word. That church preaches through the Bible, just preaches straight through the Bible. I I love that about him. So I acknowledge him. I want to do that. Back to the future, back to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, we're going to... Go back more than 2,700 years ago to find out what's coming next in our world, focusing on the final two chapters of the Isaiah prophecy. Why? It's important. Why? Why would we do this today? Because there's great power in knowing the future. Right now, I am witnessing a world that is in deep anxiety. Because the world in anxiety now, because everything's uncertain, unsure, and, and suicides are increasing dramatically. People are anxious. They are fearful. Why? Because they don't know what's coming. The Bible has told us in advance what's coming today there will be great hope revealed in this room i want you to know up front it is the plan that great hope is revealed to us about the future and it's revealed in truth and power and authority from god himself so here we go we're going to go back so we can see what's in the future Isaiah 65, verse 17, begins with, look. You know what that means? Pay attention. I am creating new heavens and a new earth. And no one will even think about the old ones anymore. Be glad. Rejoice forever in my creation. And look. I will create Jerusalem as a place of happiness. Her people will be a source of joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and delight in my people. And the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in that Jerusalem no more. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die BEFORE THEY HAVE LIVED A FULL LIFE. NO LONGER WILL PEOPLE BE CONSIDERED OLD AT ONE HUNDRED. ONLY THE CURSED WOULD DIE THAT YOUNG. IN THOSE DAYS, NOW UNDERSTAND, Isaiah's PROPHESYING ABOUT A DATE, A, a TIME, FUTURE TO US. IT'S WAY FUTURE TO HIM, IT'S FUTURE TO US. IN THOSE DAYS PEOPLE will live in the houses they build and eat the fruit of their own vineyards. Unlike the past, invaders will not take their houses and confiscate their vineyards. For my people will live as long as trees, and my chosen ones will have time to enjoy their hard-won gains. They will not work in vain, and their children will not be doomed to misfortune. For they are a people blessed by the Lord. And their children too will be blessed by the Lord. And I will answer them before they even call to me. Whoa. What? I will answer them before they even call to me. And while they're still talking about their needs, I'll go ahead and answer their prayers. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. But the snakes, they're going to eat dust. And in those days, this is the future. This is the future. Do you believe the prophets? In those days, no one will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain. I, the Lord, have spoken. Do you believe him? Look, that text began with look. God wants us to look into the future. He is revealing to Isaiah. He doesn't want you to go around blinded by the current world events. He wants us to look into the future. There's going to be a new creation. Look, I'm creating new heavens Look, I'm creating a new earth, and no one will even think about the old one anymore because the new one's going to be so marvelous, you won't even think about what it used to be like. So, let me summarize this future world that God has announced to Isaiah. This new heaven and earth will be so amazing that it'll never cross your mind. You remember the good old days? No, you're not going to do it. People do it now, but you're not going to do it then. There's not going to be any good old days. Jerusalem will be the capital of this new world, and Jerusalem will be the source of joy and happiness for the whole planet Earth. God told Isaiah that he would rejoice over this new Jerusalem, and the sound of weeping and crying would no longer come from this blessed city look into the future of this new world where babies will not die when they are only a few days old look he wants us to see that in the future there's going to be a new world babies won't die when there's a few days old adults will not die before they've had a chance to live their full life now listen everybody pay close attention to this part right here that is your first hint your first hint that we are not talking about the eternal kingdom anybody with me we're not talking about revelation 21 here Revelation 21 says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city descending as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And in that scene, the dwelling place of God becomes man. That's the eternal kingdom. Now, this is not talking about that time. This is another time. Do you understand? This is another time. You've got to get this part. This is another time. This new heaven and new earth still experiences death. That proves that we're not talking about the eternal kingdom. Children won't die at a young age and people won't be considered old at a hundred. hundred. But it doesn't mean that death is not still here. It just means that death has been pushed back in this new earth scene. The new heaven and the new earth still experience death in Isaiah 65, but not like this present world we live in today. Stay with me. This future that he has told us is coming is amazing for those who belong to him, but only for those who belong to him. You'll still be considered a young man when you celebrate your 100th birthday in this new world revealed by Isaiah. I guess it'll totally do away with birthday cakes. There won't be room for candles. Only the cursed, there's your other hint. He says, only the cursed will die before their hundredth birthday. We're not talking about the new heaven and the new earth of Revelation 21. People will build houses in those days and live in them a very long time, eating the produce of this blessed new land, the fruit of your own vineyard. No one, no invading force will ever come and take away your house, your crops. Not in this future world. God told Isaiah that people would live as long as trees. And I'm going to tell you, trees live a long time. There will be work in this new world. But it will not be toil, but a joy. And the work will be fruitful and joyful in this new world that Isaiah reveals in chapter 65. There won't be any poor or oppressed people in this future world. They will live under the blessing of God. This next one describes the reason for the blessing. Here's what he said. I will answer them before they even call to me. And while they are still talking about their needs, while they're still contemplating what we might ask God for, he said, I'll go ahead and give it to them. Just because you thought of it. Can your mind grasp this world? Do you want to know the future? One more thing is revealed to Isaiah about this new future world, and it's big. And it is specifically declared by the name of the Lord Himself. I'm going to repeat verse 25. The wolf and the lamb. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. But the snakes will eat dust. Now, in those days. Now, we're talking about the future. Do you want to know the future? In those days. Do you believe the prophets? In those days, no one will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain. I, the Lord, have spoken. Do you believe it? Now, as I go through this message today, some of you are going to be stretched to believe what you're gonna hear. And I want you to know something. He said, I the Lord have spoken. So if you're struggling with believing this, you're not struggling with me. You're not struggling with Isaiah. You're struggling with I the Lord have spoken. You need to deal with that. Do you believe him? Do you believe that which our Lord has spoken about the future world that is coming? This would be a good time for me to do something. I want to give you a biblical timeline to set the stage for what we're going to talk about today. So on the screen, I want you to pay close attention. Now I'm going to begin at about 32 AD with the Jesus death, burial, resurrection. He's ascended to the Father, okay? Now we realize that creation is about uh, 2,000 years from Adam to Abraham, about 2,000 years from Abraham. To Jesus, And then we come to this scene. Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. When he ascended to the right hand of the Father, something happened. This is called the church age. You and I live in the church age, the time in which God has opened up the gospel to the nations. Now, if you want to know where we are inside that church age, I believe we're somewhere around right there. But that's just my opinion. The next event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. Listen carefully. The rapture of the church is the next prophetic timeline in God's future announcements. The rapture of the church where the dead and the living believers, understand something, it won't matter whether you're a believer who died last year or you're a believer who's alive when that happens. They will receive, they will rise to meet the Lord in the air, and they will receive eternal flesh, which means you're going to get a resurrected body that's like Christ's body. You cannot die from that point on. You will then be spared. Notice something. You will be spared from this tribulation. I believe that the church is not destined for wrath, but glory. We will be spared because when the church leaves, there will be a time of great trouble come upon the earth. Now, I want you to think about something. I believe that at this point right here, immediately following the rapture of the church, there will be no believers, not one believer on the earth in the beginning. Why? They all left that on the first moment of the rapture of the church, the earth is devoid of any believers on the planet. Yes, some will come to faith in Christ during the tribulation. Seven years have been announced prophetically for the tribulation after the rapture of the church. Yes, make it clear, yes, some people will come to Christ inside these seven years. But many, notice the word, many of them will die simply because they came to Christ. They will be martyred. I'll deal with that in a moment, because they came to Christ. At the end of the seven-year tribulation, at the end is the battle of Armageddon. Jesus is going to physically return to the earth as a king. He comes in the clouds to rapture the church. The Bible says he comes in in the clouds. We meet him in the air at the rapture of the church. But he comes and stands on the earth at the battle of Armageddon. He comes to make war. Who's he making war against? He comes to make war against those who have rejected to acknowledge him as their king. And they will fight He will fight in Jerusalem. We, raptured saints, when He comes, when He returns to the earth, we went with Him at the rapture. We were spared the tribulation. When He comes back at the battle of Armageddon as King, we come back with Him in resurrected eternal flesh. You can't die. Now, I'm going to pause for a moment. Do you believe this stuff? Do you believe the prophet's writings? It's important. We raptured saints and resurrection bodies will return with Jesus to the earth and we will watch him take his seat on the throne of David in Jerusalem and begin what Isaiah 65 is talking about. 1,000 years The millennial kingdom of Christ on this present earth. Stay with me. You come back with him in a resurrected body. There will be people. Listen, this is important. There will be people living in natural human flesh during this period. Now, if you're in the rapture, it won't be you. But there will be people living in natural human flesh during these 1,000 years, and they will be able to have children during this 1,000-year millennial kingdom reign of Christ. Others will be in eternal flesh, and listen, what will they be doing? They've gone into heaven, they've escaped the tribulation, they've come back with Christ in eternal flesh, what will they do during the 1,000 years? They will be ruling in authority under the authority of Christ on this earth, on this present earth. They will be coming back and reigning with Christ over the earth. And we'll get into the details of that in a moment. Notice something during this time. Satan is in prison and Jesus is here. Satan has been cast into the abyss, locked away with a chain at this point, and Jesus is in Jerusalem, and we're back here with him. It's hard to believe. It's hard for the human mind to comprehend. But the Bible says that at the end of the thousand years, right here, Satan will be released for a short season from prison and a rebellion against king jesus will rise from those listen who would rebel who would rebel after one thousand years of jesus reigning on the earth satan's in jail who would rebel there will be people born on the earth during the thousand years and i'll tell you where they're coming from in a minute those people born on the earth they are born in the flesh do you see where i'm going they are born in the flesh. This proves the rebellion at the end of the thousand years when Satan is released proves that anyone born of the flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, you must be born again. You have to be born again. The human nature is subject to sin. Sin and those born in the flesh during the millennial reign of christ even with jesus as king and even with satan in prison the flesh is corrupted that satanic rebellion that will happen right here that satanic rebellion will be immediately crushed by king jesus and satan will be thrown once and for all into the lake of burning sulfur it's called hail joining the antichrist and the false prophet THEN, THEN, REVELATION 21 BEGINS HERE. ISAIAH 65 IS HERE. ARE YOU WITH ME? HE HAS THE FUTURE OUTLINED, AND I WANT TO REVEAL THAT TO YOU TODAY THROUGH THE WORD. HEAVEN AND EARTH WILL COME AND WE WILL FINALLY START OVER, FINALLY START OVER, EVERYTHING FRESH. A new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth will pass away. But at this point, the first heaven and the first earth have not passed away. The king has come. Satan is in prison. The prophet Isaiah lived more than 2,700 years ago. And here comes a question. I pondered it for several weeks. Why would God reveal something to Isaiah that he would never experience in his lifetime? Why would God reveal to Isaiah something that's 2,700 years ago for us. Why would He tell Isaiah, write this down, something that he would never experience in his lifetime? Well, let's bring that question to us today. What benefit is it us for us to know the future? If we don't experience it in our lifetime, what good was it for my great-grandparents to read Isaiah 65 if they got dead and buried? Do you know the answer? I'm curious. Do you know the answer? Why is God revealing the future to those who will not experience it in their own lifetime? Why? It's a four-letter word. Hope. Hope. You know how powerful hope is? I told you a little while ago that I, I'm watching the world living constant anxiety now because there's an uneasiness that's covering the planet, this pandemic and just the, the political environment and just everything's gone crazy and people are becoming anxious. Why? Because they're losing their hope. Do you know what hope is? Hope is an expectancy about something that's coming. Hope is thinking that that something marvelous is coming my way. There's good news, and it's coming here. It's not here yet, but it's coming, and if I'll just hang on, I'll get it. That's what hope is. What would happen if you lost your hope? What if you you got to the point where you didn't have any expectancy that things were gonna get better, and it's only gonna get worse? What would happen to you if you lost your hope? It was the Word of God that revealed salvation It was the Word of God that revealed eternal life to you, to me, to the people in the Bible. And it is the same Word of God that reveals hope. And why would He tell Isaiah something that Isaiah's never going to see? And why would He tell my great-grandparents something that they were never going to see? So that they would live with this expectancy, because that expectancy fuels your faith. It keeps you in the game. It keeps you going when everything around you is upside down crazy. In Romans eight twenty four, he says this. We were given this hope, this expectancy when we were saved. Did you get yours? I'm looking around the room. Did you get yours? There's a whole lot of people in the church. I don't see you with much hope. I don't see you with much expectancy. You were given this hope. When you were saved, he gave you something. He gave you an expectancy that I know that something marvelous is coming. I don't know when I'm going to get it, but I'm waiting for it. Verse 24, we were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we wait for it patiently and confidently. We don't know when the rapture of the church is going to happen. So if you look at me and say, when do you think the rapture of the church is going to happen? I thought it would have already happened. That's my answer. So you know what? I'm going to act like it's going to happen today. Maybe it'll happen in our generation. I realize there's been many generations that have waited for this blessed hope and they didn't experience it and they got dead and buried. That's what Jesus told his disciples. Jesus calls his disciples together and he says, there's been a whole lot of generations of people who wanted to see what you are right now seeing and they didn't get to. Let me read it to you, Luke 10, 23. Then when they were alone, Jesus and his disciples, he turned to his disciples and said, blessed are the eyes that see what you have seen. I tell you, many prophets and kings... Isaiah being one of them many prophets and kings longed to see what you see but they didn't see it and they longed to hear what you hear but they didn't hear it God wasn't being mean to those generations he was filling them with expectancy there's power in knowing the future i've often said this and it's just a person very personal to me my entire calling from God. When I had this encounter with God over a period of three years, everything in that encounter with God was the deliverer's coming. Everything. Constantly. He was so clear, so clear. I'm going to call you to be a watchman. You're going to tell people the deliverer's coming, make the church ready for the wedding. The church thinks she's ready, the church is not ready. Everything about that was this expectancy about something's coming. He's coming. He gave me that. And and the reason I make a big deal out of that personally, my hope is the fuel of my faith. It is that hope that fires up my faith. It's what makes my faith fire burn hot because I think my deliverer is coming. And you're not going to talk me out of it. I think he's coming. If I ever lost my hope, I fear, if I ever lost this expectancy that my deliverer is coming, I fear I would lose my faith. Because it is my hope that fuels the fire of my faith. So why would he give us information about the future to a generation that doesn't physically experience it? It's not about... The hope in itself, it's about the faith that the hope reveals. There's power. But I tell you today, I know the future. I have confidence that I know the future. I know what's coming. It's called faith. I believe every word of Isaiah's prophecy will be fulfilled in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. Are you with me? You know, And if you say, I don't, well, that's okay. I'm fine with that. We just probably won't hang out much together. Yes. I'm going to acknowledge something. It's hard for my human mind to comprehend all of this. It is. That's why it's called faith. Faith is being sure of what you hope for, certain of what you cannot see. So don't Be in the room today, don't watch online today and say, I have faith, but you are not sure and you are not certain. What you're doing is what the modern American culture is doing, is taking a word that means something and changing it till it means something else and saying, now I've got it. Faith is not unsure and unconfident. It is sure and confident of what? Faith is being sure of what I hope for. That's what the Bible says. Something marvelous is coming, and certain of what I cannot see. I can't see it, but you know what? It's closer today than it was yesterday. It's coming my way. It's mine. By the promise of God, it's mine. The Apostle Paul said this about this mystery, and and it is a mystery. You know, I, I can't comprehend Isaiah 65. I can read it. I can believe it. I can put my entire life upon it, but I can't comprehend it. It's too big. It's too big. The Apostle Paul said it's a mystery surrounding this future world that God has promised to those who who put their faith in him. Here's how he does it. He writes 1 Corinthians 2.7 to the church. No, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden... Even though He made it for our ultimate glory before the world began, but the rulers of this world have not understood this mystery. If they had, they would have not crucified our Lord Jesus, our glorious Lord. That is what the Scriptures mean when they say—we're talking about a mystery—when the Scriptures say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So I can read Isaiah 65 all day long, and you know what? I can't fully grasp it. Sometimes I try. I'm by myself. Sometimes I try to imagine Isaiah 65, me being in the middle of the scene. And it's like, I can't already do it. It's too big. No eye has seen, no mind has conceived what God has prepared in this new world for those who love Him. Verse 10, but it was to us that God revealed these things by His Spirit. So while I cannot fully comprehend it, it is to us that He has revealed these things by His Spirit. For His Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. He's, he's trying today, he's trying right now to reveal to us this secret. You think I'm preaching this sermon today by accident? You think I watched that sermon that day on the, on the YouTube by accident? It's not by accident. He, he wants us to see these secrets revealed about the future that's coming. It's his providence. The Spirit of God is revealing mysteries of the future world to us right now in this room. You are not sitting in this room listening to this sermon. You're not watching online today by accident. He wants you to know the mystery. The unbelieving world doesn't believe it. The unbelieving world doesn't accept it. If they did, you know what they would do? They would turn to Christ, repent of their sins, and find salvation. There's something important that I need to cover here about Isaiah's prophecy. Now, here's a turning point in today's message. Pay close attention. He gives this message in Isaiah 65. He's also going to give it in Isaiah 11. About a new heaven created. A new earth created. This this new world order, if you want to call it that. Most Old Testament prophets have a near and a far meaning. Stay with me meaning there might be a shadow or a preview that would occur before the ultimate and final event takes place okay this might help you with this new heaven and new earth part of the revelation of isaiah 65 when people are still dying Uh, yeah they're they're, they don't die until they're a hundred they're in their hundreds but they're still dying and people still are on the earth, and they're under a curse. So, so how could—and how could, then Revelation 21 is God's living here, and there's no more death. Or, well, Most Old Testament prophecies have a, a shadow fulfillment, a, a temporary early fulfillment, and then a final fulfillment. So I want to do something. I, I need for you to get this, or you're not going to get Isaiah 65 and Revelation 21 and be able to separate them. So I want to give you two examples of a near and far fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. The prophet Daniel prophesied about the abomination that causes desolation. It's found in Daniel chapter 12. Some English translations call it the sacrilegious uh, object that causes desecration. And he prophesied that about 500 years before Jesus. So I want you to get something. Daniel announces a future time when in the Jerusalem temple there will be an object that desecrates the temple. It will make the temple unclean, and it will bring desecration and desolation. It will bring desecration, which means it makes the temple defiled, uh, unclean. But it also brings desolation, which means it brings uh, death to the area. People are going to die because of that. So Daniel prophesies the abomination that causes desolation 500 years before Christ. Say with me. 400 years after Daniel, in 164 B.C., a blasphemous Greek ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes, and yeah, go ahead and try to spell that one. He came to Jerusalem. Now, the, the, the Greeks uh, under Alexander the Great had come to worldwide power. And now Antiochus Epiphanes comes to Jerusalem and he hates the Jewish people. And he comes to Jerusalem and you know what he does? He intentionally sacrifices a pig on the altar of the Jerusalem temple. So that he might defile the temple Because he hates the Jewish people, and he was their conqueror, okay? His his way of proving that we're in charge, I'll defile your temple. You know what he's doing? He is fulfilling a shadow fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy about an abomination that will cause a desolation. That event was the near-term fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy but listen it is not the final one it's only a shadow a preview of the final one Jesus so you got Daniel making a prophecy about Jerusalem's temple being defiled in the future Antiochus Epiphanes comes and he does it defiles the temple Jesus comes 500 years after Daniel, about 200 years, listen, after Antiochus Epiphanes, and he tells us that the abomination that causes desolation, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration will be a future event. Right, you got to get this. It's a future event. And why I make a big deal out of this is when I was a kid growing up in the church, everybody in the church told me that the abomination of desolation was fulfilled by Antiochus Epiphanes. And then I become a student of the Bible and find out that Jesus, 200 years after Antiochus Epiphanes, says it's a a future event. It's not just something that happened in the past. It was a shadow in the past. The future event's coming. I want to read it to you. Jesus in Matthew 24 says the day is coming. What's coming? The abomination that causes desolation. The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about. The sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. What's the holy place? The temple. Where is it? Jerusalem. Reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. What? Here's the point. When Jesus announces the abomination that causes desolation, what's happening in the world? then those in Judea must flee to the hills. Run. A person out on the deck of the roof must not go down into the house to pack. Run. A person out in the field must not return to get your coat. Run. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For there will be greater anguish at any time than at any time since the world began." What is the context of the abomination that causes desolation in Jesus' description? The tribulation. Do you doubt that? For there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began. And it will never be so great again. It is the great tribulation. The abomination that causes desolation occurs at the midpoint of the seven-year great tribulation. In fact, verse 22, unless that time, seven years, of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive, but it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. And I believe that is not a reference to the church, but a reference to Israel during the tribulation. So you've got Daniel's prophecy. A shadow fulfillment by Antiochus Epiphanes. And then Jesus comes and announces that the final fulfillment will occur during the tribulation. So here comes the Apostle Paul. Jesus has gone to the right hand of the Father. The Apostle Paul. The Apostle to the Gentiles. He comes and he declares the details of the abomination that causes desolation. And he, Paul, attaches it specifically to whom? The Antichrist who will cause desecration in the temple paul says the antichrist i want to read it to you in second thessalonians 2 3 don't be fooled by what they say for that day will not come and we're talking about the return of christ that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against god and the man of lawlessness he's the antichrist until the man of lawlessness is revealed and, the, and when he is revealed, what's he, the one who brings destruction, he will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship, and he will even sit in the temple of God. The Antichrist will sit in the rebuilt temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. The abomination that causes desolation, desecration. There's more, there's more. Jesus said, run. That's what he said. Run. Don't go get your coat. Get out of Jerusalem. Run. Paul says he brings destruction. The Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, brings the tribulation. So I'll ask you a question today. Do you want to know the future? Well, I was until you got to this part. We're talking about a worldwide event. This is not localized, something's going to happen in the Middle East and you'll be going to work watching TV. This is a worldwide event. There was a shadow fulfillment, and there will be a final fulfillment. Understand, this is unstoppable. There will be a final fulfillment when the Antichrist stands in the rebuilt Jerusalem temple. And he will, and he will proclaim himself as God, setting up a sacrilegious image of the beast that people must worship or they will die. Do you want to know the future? Because it is specifically outlined. He's going to set up an image in a rebuilt Jerusalem temple. And if you don't bow to that image, you're going to die. You're going to be executed. Do you doubt that? Revelation 13, 11. And then I saw another beast, and I need to tell you something. The first beast is the Antichrist, and that's in previous verses. This one's the false prophet. He's kind of the understudy to the Antichrist. And then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like that of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of the dragon. The dragon is Satan. He exercised the authority of the first beast. He, the false prophet, exercises the authority of the Antichrist. And he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast, the Antichrist, whose fatal wound had been healed. He, the false prophet, did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the Antichrist, the first beast, he deceived all the people who belong to this world. Now that's important to hear. He can only deceive those who belong to the world. He cannot deceive those who belong to Christ. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast. Anybody listen? What might the sacrilegious object that causes desecration be? What might it be? He ordered the people to make a great statue of the Antichrist. Where, where's this happening? Jerusalem Temple. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. He was then permitted to give life to the statue so that it could speak. A statue becomes alive and speaks. Then the statue of the beast, the statue of the Antichrist at the Jerusalem temple, commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. The abomination that causes desecration in the midst of the Jerusalem temple during the tribulation. Now, I told you, now there's the first example. I told you that there were two examples of Old Testament prophecies that had a short-term and long-term final fulfillment. I don't have time to go into detail on this one, so I'm going to give you the short version. It's about the regathering of the Jewish people to the land and rebuilding the Jerusalem temple. It is prophesied that the people of Israel will be scattered across the earth and then they will be regathered and when they are regathered, they will rebuild the temple. And for, you, for the Antichrist to be able to do the abomination that causes desolation, he's got to have a temple, right? So that they're connected. There was a shadow fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy in the time of Nehemiah. If you study the scriptures, in the time of Nehemiah, The Babylonians had conquered Israel, conquered Jerusalem, Judah, and they'd scattered the people. After 70 years, what did they do? The Persian king allowed them, actually empowered them to come back. The Jewish people came back to Jerusalem. And what did they do? They rebuilt the walls. They rebuilt the temple. They reestablished worship, reestablished the priesthood. And some people would say, well, there you go. There's the fulfillment of that prophecy. It is the shadow. It is only the shadow. It is not the final fulfillment. The final fulfillment of the regathering and the rebuilding of Jerusalem's temple is coming. It's coming soon. The Jewish people were regathered back in the land in 1948. They took control of Jerusalem in 1967. Why do I make a big deal out of this today? 1967 is my generation. I I was alive in 1967. I wasn't in 1948. I was in 1967. This is happening in our generation, which means pay attention. You are living in a time in which the prophecy is being fulfilled. Not the shadow, but the final one. The Jewish population since 1948 has increased from 700,000 to over 7 million people. The dry bones of Ezekiel's prophecy. Do you believe the prophets? The dry bones of Ezekiel's prophecy are coming to life. Everything needed to rebuild the Jerusalem temple has already been made. I've seen it with my own eyes. And let me give you a picture. This picture was taken in Jerusalem. This is the giant menorah that is planned to be put inside the Jerusalem temple. This thing is huge. It sits outside under a bulletproof guarded glass. It is solid gold. It is humongous. And they plan to move that to the Jerusalem temple when it's rebuilt to restart the worship. It's in your generation. The abomination that causes desolation will happen in a temple in Jerusalem. They're making all the articles, they're all built, ready for the new temple. Now, back to the future. I gave you two examples of a shadow fulfillment and a final fulfillment. So, why do I do that? Let's go back to the future. There will be two types of people that will enter the millennial kingdom of Christ. Two types Christians who have died and received the resurrection at the rapture, and those who were still alive when the rapture took place. All these will have eternal resurrected flesh when they come back with Christ and when they come into the 1000 year reign of christ on this present earth resurrected flesh if you're a believer in christ today and you're raptured you will come back with christ experience 1000 years under his authority on this present earth we will reign with jesus during those thousand years and you might ask reign over who reign over what do you know In Revelation 20, this is the beginning of the thousand-year reign of King Jesus. This is Isaiah 65. Revelation 20. And then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. And he seized the dragon, the old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and he bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked, so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years is finished. And afterward, he must be released for a little while. And then I saw thrones. What are these? I saw thrones and people sitting on these thrones have been given authority to judge. And when Americans see the word judge, we think of somebody judge, guilty, innocent. No, these are authorities, governors, people that are in charge of government. And I saw the souls of those who'd been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshiped the beast or his statue, nor accepted the mark on their forehead or on their hands. And they, these tribulation martyrs, they all came to life again. And what happened when they came to life again? And they reigned with Christ for 1,000 years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead, listen church, this is the first resurrection. Can I just tell you, if you were in the tribulation, you want to be in that one. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power. And they, those who experience the first resurrection, they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for 1,000 years. That's Isaiah 65. Reign with Christ on the new earth. What's new about it? Jesus is king in Jerusalem, and Satan is in prison for 1,000 years. What do you think it's going to be like? Satan's gone, Jesus is here everything will be different. But reign over whom? Reign over what? Listen very carefully. This is a confusing point. I mentioned there are two types of people who will enter the millennial kingdom of Christ. Two types. Christians who have experienced the resurrection of the last day. They have immortal flesh. They cannot die. And those who became Christians during the seven-year tribulation that were not martyred. I'm going to make a big point of that. There will be Christians come to Christ. There will be people who come to Christ during the tribulation that don't die. Many will die. Okay, many will die. Many, many will die. But there will be some that survive the tribulation, not martyred. They, tribulation saints that weren't killed, will enter the millennial kingdom of Christ in regular bodies, not eternal flesh. And I want to be careful, I say, not yet. Their resurrection day comes, but not yet. That explains how there will be children born in the millennial reign of Christ, and how some adults will still die of old age during that time as well, because there will be some people during the millennial reign of Christ that are not in eternal flesh. They were people who came to Christ, and they did not receive the resurrection, the new body, because they crossed over into the millennial kingdom in the flesh. Jesus gives us a hint about this millennial kingdom in the Gospels, Luke 19, 17. Jesus looks, and he says, Well done, the king exclaimed. You are a good servant. You've been faithful with a little. I've entrusted to you so... You will be a governor of ten cities as a reward. What's he talking about? I believe that is a specific reference to the millennial reign of Christ. That you will be faithful. People will be faithful in resurrected flesh over ten cities. And he says, the next servant reported, Master, I invested your money, made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You'll be the governor over five cities. Jesus will be king in Jerusalem and Satan will be in prison. Can, you, can your mind imagine that today? Let's pause for a moment. I want all of this to go in your mind today, and I'm going to ask you a question. This is really important. Do you believe the prophets? I believe in Jesus, but no. do you believe the prophets? You see how easy it is to just write this stuff off? Just write it off? But yet I have faith. Do you? The same prophet Isaiah reveals this about the millennial kingdom. I told you that he reveals it in 65, chapter 65. He also reveals it in chapter 11. Here we go. Here's chapter 11. In that day, I think this is specifically the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together, and the leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear and the cub and the calf will lie down together and the lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Can your mind grasp that? Never again, mothers, will you have to say, kids, come in because there's snakes out there. They can go play with the snakes. It's fine. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain for the waters, for as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people. The earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. In that day, what's the environment of that new world? In that day, the heir to David's throne will be the banner of salvation to all the world the nations will rally to him and the land where he lives, Jerusalem will be a glorious place. Can you see it today? Can you look back into Isaiah and see the future? Today, God's word has pulled back the veil and given us a peek into the future. And I'm going to tell you, I testify today, I believe it's coming soon. I believe the rapture of the church is coming soon. I don't know a day, I don't know an hour, because I don't know the day in an hour, I'm going to act like it's today. So I'm going to wrap it up with this, 1 Corinthians 2, 9. That is what the Scripture means when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. Isaiah 65 says this new world that God is offering every one of you knowledge about You all know that there is a new world coming. Satan's gonna be in jail, Jesus is gonna be in Jerusalem, and everything in the animal kingdom is gonna change, everything about the human bodies are gonna change, all of all of it's gonna change. And you know about it. And you know about it. It's not a mystery. Somebody told you. So here's the question. Do you believe in the prophets? Do you believe in the prophecies? Because there's an alternative. And what if you don't? What if you don't? What what if you don't? What if you listen to this message today and say, What if you don't? You know, listen, I'd like to just stop at the other part. I would. I'd like to not even have to say this last part. I hate doing this part. I hate it. But the Holy Spirit compels me to tell you that if you reject what God has offered you in the future, you will live under the consequences of your decision. And they're outlined just as plainly as the other. What if you don't believe? What if you don't put your promises in the Holy Scriptures that I've read today? What if you don't? I read it earlier. Did you catch it? I want to repeat Revelation 20 verse 5. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. There's a group of people that will remain dead during the millennial reign of Christ. They will not come back to life again. They're going to miss the thousand years in the new world. Stay with me. Verse 6, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. You want the blessing of God? You share in the first resurrection. For them, those are believers, the death has no power But they will be priests of God and of Christ. And and that group, the first resurrection group, they're going to reign with Jesus for a thousand years. But there's a bunch of people that are not going to be raised until the thousand years are over. There's going to be two groups. And what is the second death? What is the second death? First off, here's the point. Listen. This has been on my mind all morning. God has told you the future. There's a thousand years where Jesus is going to reign on this earth in glory, in glory. Satan's gone. Jesus is here. And you know about it. And would you trade, would you trade a few days of sin-filled, unrepentant life in this wrecked world for the promise of that one? Would you, would that be the worst deal you've ever made in your life? Is there sin in your life that you just will not let go of, that you won't bring to the altar and lay before God? Knowing, knowing that the blood of Christ, His grace, His mercy would cover you, receive you in a moment, but you don't want to. Then you trade the first resurrection for the second death. You did it. He didn't do it. Somebody read to you about what's coming. They told you the future. So first off, what if you don't believe? What if you don't believe? You're going to miss the thousand year reign of Christ on this present earth. You're going to miss it. Thousand years. Thousand years. I'm 64 and it seems like a long time. A thousand years. And then it's not over then. Then there's a new heaven and a new earth and we begin eternity. You you would trade that for this? You would trade that for this? One reason. One reason. You know what? You don't believe it. If you believed any part of this message today, you would repent of your sins and fall on your face before God. Yeah, you would. Two reasons. One is I don't want to miss the future that God has planned for me. And number two, I don't even want to imagine the horror of being without him. Because there's one more verse. The unsaved, who don't come back to life for a thousand years, where are they? Some, words, some use the word Sheol, S-H-E-O-L, or Hades. It's the place of the dead. It is not the. It's not hell. They're waiting for that. And then at the end of the thousand years reign of Christ, when the glorious, when Satan's gone, Jesus is here. They missed the thousand years. They missed it. They missed it. They're dead. He's going to raise them for this. Revelation 20, 11, I saw a great white throne, one sitting on it, and the earth and sky fled from His presence, but there is no place to hide. And I saw the dead. Here they are, a thousand years, Sheol. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. The books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done. As recorded in the books. And the sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. All were judged according to their deeds. And then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. There you go. Back to the future. We've gone back to the Old Testament and the New Testament see what God has in store for the future for those who love Him. And I ask you a question today in closing. What is in your future? What and who is coming for you? I'm counting on this. Jesus looked and He says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I I would have told you, and I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will one day, when everything's ready, I'll come and get you, Terry Cooper. I'm going to come and get you. That's my life, my mission. Do you believe this stuff? Do you? I'll ask Chad to come out for the invitation. You know what that says on that bumper sticker right there? out of time. I'm out of time. Today, a little more than out of time. And some of you in this room are out of time. Some of you are out of time. Somebody told you what's coming. And some of you aren't ready. Some of you are. I hope all of you are. I don't know. He's not going to ask me. I'll be standing in line with you. Some of you are out of time. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart as they did in the rebellion. Today, and if today, if the rapture happens this week, if today, if, if this week, this week the rapture happens, are you are you going? Are you going to be here in the tribulation? Are you going? Do you believe this stuff? If you believed any part of this message any part you'd follow Christ with all your heart yeah you would wouldn't make any sense not to so I'm going to pray we're going to sing a song and we're going to open up the invitation today father thank you for your word thank you for telling us the future we know what's coming thank you for the holy spirit that enables us to live a life forgiven under your grace not your wrath Now, Lord, I pray for those who don't know you. I pray that you'll give them eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that'll believe, receive, and obey you while there's time. In Jesus' name. And amen. Let's stand. Let's stand.